Open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Revelation. Glad you responded to the invitation to come and see. That's what we find in this fourth chapter or sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. Follow as I read this chapter in your presence. And I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. I'm going to make an adjustment as we read down through when it comes to that statement, the four beasts. We better identify that as the four living creatures, according to the text. And so I will make that adjustment in the reading. Verse 2 says, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat upon him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see not that you hurt the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and out of the sun, uh, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and 
island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Our objective in spending time examining Bible prophecy is that we might understand what's going on in the current events of today as that reflects and is related to Bible prophecy. The stage is certainly being readied and we have a role as stagehands for the spiritual tasks that God has set forth for us as we prepare the stage for that final drama. This week, there have been two rulings by the Supreme Court that indicate just how ready that stage is for these events to transpire following the rapture of the church. We saw that action on the part of the Supreme Court to affirm and uphold the tenets of the Second Amendment, and then we saw the overturning of the Roe v. Wade and the Chasey, uh, Casey uh, doctrine that had been uh, in play now for almost 50 years. The reaction on the part of society today indicates truly we are in the last days. The tribulation is the completion, as we have said before, of the Jewish administration. We identify that as the age of Israel. And I remind you that they had seven years remaining in that which God had granted them. And uh, those seven years were cut off on the day of Pentecost in the year 30 A.D. following the ascension of Christ and the church was commissioned to become the representative of Christ, the administrator of the kingdom's affairs and to serve as the body of Christ during this particular time before the church is taken up out of the earth to become the bride of Christ. Chapter 1 of the book of Revelation introduces God's agenda. Chapters 2 and 3 reveal the prophetic history of the church from 30 A.D. until the rapture and ending in that final Laodicean period that we have investigated in both the current events and in Bible prophecy surely is the time in which we now live. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 then show us the church in heaven, and they give us a brief glimpse into the things that are going on in heaven following the judgment seat of Christ. We could well title this sixth 
chapter of Revelation, come and see. There's a seven seal scroll that was introduced to us in the end of the fifth chapter. And they were trying to find someone that could open that seven seven seal scroll. And uh, they finally had hope as a lamb, as though it had been slain, stepped forward, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take the scroll and to read it. The scroll is actually a length of writing material which was written according to the text on both sides. And uh, then it was rolled up a ways and sealed, written again on both sides, rolled up a little further and sealed again through a seven-step process so that when the Lord Jesus Christ takes the scroll from out of the hand of the one that sits upon the throne, he then would reveal to us what is in the scroll. We find uh, the lamb opens the seals. And uh, he opens six of the seals in this chapter that we're reading today in the sixth chapter of Revelation. He does not open the seventh seal immediately because there is a parenthesis, an interruption in the process of what is being revealed to indicate God's program of evangelism that is going to occur. And that's given to us as a parenthesis, an interruption in chapter 7. We are going to look then this morning at this sixth chapter that we have read together and uh, understand hopefully a general overview of what is going to occur then in the chapters that follow after the interruption of chapter 7. We find uh, that in the midst of this scene there are four living creatures. And they are before the throne of God day and night, and they are crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. These four living creatures we saw represent the four aspects of Christ. We have in our New Testaments four Gospels. One Gospel recorded in four different ways written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the theme of Matthew's gospel is Christ as the King of King and Lord of Lords. Mark, on the other hand, takes the approach of presenting Christ in his servant roles as he came to seek and to save that which was lost and to provide himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. He presents Jesus as servant. Luke presents Jesus in his humanity and identifies the aspects of that humanity having set aside the function of his natural attributes of deity in order to be one of us, to be tempted in every manner in which we are tempted, yet to remain sinless that he might become the satisfying 
payment of debt on the cross of Calvary for us. And so Luke presents that aspect of Christ. And then uh, John presents Christ in his deity. So as they are coupled together, they give us a total uh, understanding of the roles of Christ as the servant king and as the God-man who came to seek and to save all that were lost. And now, these four representatives of the glory of God and of the aspects of Christ, they are introducing to us the judgments that are about to be unleashed upon the earth following the rapture of the church. The Lamb is going to open six of these seals and then there'll be a break and then He will open the seventh seal. Revelation chapter 6 then is a summary, actually a summary introduction of what's going to transpire. It's a general overview statement as we uh, generally uh, were instructed in the speech class. In the beginning of your speech, you make an introduction in which you indicate to your audience where you're going to take them, and then you put the body of the speech together and identify the various aspects of where you said you were going to take them by actually taking them there. And then the conclusion is to be some clever manipulation of explaining to them where you think you took them. And hopefully it works out all right with that. So we have that with the book of Revelation as well, with this sixth chapter introducing those things to us. The the, this actually introduces then uh, with the beginning of the first seal, we have identified a white horse and it introduces to us a period of dictatorships, a period uh, that uh, identifies power politics through the projection of uh, the personality of an individual rather than his his own ethics or character as they are represented. It also introduces a basic principle that we find throughout the Word of God. God always provides grace before He provides judgment. But judgment is sure as any of the doctrines that we find in the Word of God. And so we began this period of tribulation. Now remember the the church is not present but is looking from above, it begins then with a period of dictatorships. Now, the reference is to a white horse. The white horse throughout literature and history is a symbol then that we find of conquest and of victory. Napoleon, the Japanese generals, the Roman generals, uh, all of those military personnel and dictators uh, that would be, we find, uh, uh, rode white horses. And throughout ancient literature, the white horse is representative of that. This is what John writes. 
verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. So the Lamb opens one of the seals. Now I need to point out here as we're looking at the tribulational period that when the word tribulation is used, it refers to the entire seven year period of time that begins at the rapture of the church and then will conclude with the second advent. The term the great tribulation, when you add that word great to it, it identifies the last three and a half years of the seven-year period. Now, there are various approaches by Bible expositors as to how to handle what we have here in the book of Revelation. But I I understand uh, uh, the final part of the tribulation period to coincide with what we find in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4, verse 15, as he uh, gives us, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us an introduction to that before his death and before uh, his resurrection and ascension. So I understand that part of the tribulation then uh, coincides with Matthew 24, And so the event that is introduced by the first six seals occurs basically during the first half of Daniel's 70th week when we go to the book of Daniel and the prophecy that set up the book of Revelation. They are the beginning of sorrows, according to Matthew 24.8. And so the first four seals are broken in connection with the four living creatures. But remember, it's the Lamb who has the power and the authority to break the seals. And as He does, He is able to reveal more contents of the scroll and help us to understand stage by stage, step by step, what's going to be transpiring. And so in verse 2, John writes, And I saw, and behold, a white horse... And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So the rider of the white horse has erroneously been identified by some as the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we do see in the book of Revelation the Lord Jesus Christ riding a white horse. But it's not this horse, and it's not at this point in the seven-year period that we're speaking of. At the end of that seven-year period, he will triumphantly ride his own white horse. But we need to make the separation here. And it's not talking about an individual, the identity of a, of an individual rider, uh, as some might suggest, but rather keeping with what we find in the interpretation of the other horses, he's talking about a general period and not just a a single dictator in this particular role, but rather 
He's identifying a struggle that's going to go on and a pseudo-peace that's going to be established at the beginning of that seven-year period. And so we have uh, this writer referring to the attempts of many that we have had in the past that seek to bring about peace. There, it, it would seem that every uh, world conflict is preceded by those who would attempt to develop some kind of system of peace, and it usually blows up in their face and ends in uh, great uh, war and conflict. And so we find that same setting and pattern here as the first seal is broken. It reveals a white horse. It identifies a period of dictatorships and of pseudo-peace. There's not blood uh, represented in this first rise to power of dictators. And you might wonder how that's going to be accomplished. But when uh, we have the church suddenly rapture and the graves open, and all that's going to transpire on that day, people are going to be fearful, even more fearful than they were during the present pandemic that we we have seen. It's going to really bring a, a willingness to surrender freedom, liberty, and rights for the promise of protection and care. <clears throat> and so as we harmonize the various prophecies that are related to this period of time, both Old Testament and New Testament, we find that to be the case. So there is going to be a brief time when the world will be willing to accept leaders, uh, but they will find soon there is a conflict between the various leaders. So that takes us to the second horse, and the breaking of the second seal. In this seal, we find a period of warfare, and uh, that supports the proposition that Christ said that until He came, there would be wars and rumors of wars, but that we need to understand that's simply the setting of the stage. Matthew 24, 6 says, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And that's going to be magnified during this breaking of the second seal. Verses 3 and 4 of Revelation 6. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. And they there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take the peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So the second living creature is connected then with the breaking of the second seal, saying, Come and see. And unquestionably, this seal speaks of warfare, of bloodshed. These, uh, there went out another horse that was red, identifying then another period of time and the actions of men. 
world peace <clears throat> will fail <clears throat> as it always does without Christ. And so warfare will break out. We'll be looking as we go through the Revelation account, the events that tie into this. Remember, we're just in this chapter presenting an overview as to what's going to occur. We'll look at the details of that a bit later. He was, this rider of this horse was given a great sword, uh, used always to represent the ravages of war that are going to be let loose and here in a universal scale throughout the entire world, we're going to see this taking place. We come then to the third seal. And it is the introduction of a black horse. It's this seal that introduces a period of famine, uh, of inflation that will even beat Biden's inflation. It identify a scarcity of the necessities of, of life as we're complaining now won't be anything compared to what's going to occur during that tribulational period. And it will be a time of famine. Verse 5 says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And behold... And lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. A pair of balances, and the rider of the black horse is holding then a symbol of commerce. And also then there is an abundance uh, uh, when there is peace, but when warfare breaks out, the lack of abundance disappears and uh, we recognize the the famine uh, period and the uh, inflation period and the balances now this is going to be a time uh, following the warfare uh, that is going to really wreak havoc upon the population verse 6 says I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. I don't associate the word penny there with how we use the word today, today's wages at that particular time. Wheat and barley are the necessities for life, and uh, we find then a reference to the oil uh, and the wine. I remember <clears throat> as a uh, young 9, 10, 11, 12 year old boy, every time I read the word oil, I think of the black crude uh, rather than the cooking oil. I've never been able to get God's approval to stamp it that way. It seems better to relate to the cooking oil situation and oil was such a commodity, we have to interpret Scripture in the light of the time it was written. And and oil was such a commodity uh, that it was limited frequently just to the wealthy. And the wine and the oil is currently used uh, during this period of time in a reference to uh, the fair to identify 
those that are wealthy as well being affected by this poverty. Uh, their money will not uh, take care of the issue if there's no product uh, to purchase with the money. And that seems to be the case here. So the third seal shows a black horse and identifies the attack upon the economy on the world commerce that's going to occur. And we'll be filling in the details of that as we work through the book. The fourth seal portrays an ashen horse. That is a deathly green color. This was a period uh, uh, that is being identified as a period of death. The livid or the pale horse clearly speaks about death in all of literature and uh, uh, by pestilence and plague frequently. The word death is thanatos in the Greek, and it means the separation of the soul from the body. The word hell is from the word Hades that identifies the abode of the dead in the heart of the earth. And uh, the book of Ezekiel chapter 14, as well as the gospel of Matthew chapter 24, uh, have the same order for these events that we find here in the Revelation account. You might note that one-fourth of the world's population is going to be affected in this portrayal of death. One-fourth. Now, uh, in most of the book of Revelation, we talk about thirds. A third of the green grass, a third of trees, a third of the sea, a third of fresh water. But this reference identifies at this onset that there are going to be, there will occur then this kind of devastation that will impact a quarter of the world. Look at verse six or verse seven. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, "Come and see." And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell, that is, Hades, followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. The word sword identifies warfare. The word hunger identifies famine. The word death here identifies disease. And the beast of the earth could be literal animals upon the earth, but that term is used frequently in literature to refer to evil personalities, to those world leaders, those who rise to power or seek to rise to power in crime or in politics. Maybe there's not a separation between crime and politics, but whatever uh, they attempt to rise to power, frequently in literature, literature are referred to as the beasts of the earth. So with the fourth seal, death is unleashed in a great way. Now, you've already had warfare and bloodshed, and we've already had uh, a period uh, then 
uh, that relates to famine and hunger and all that's going to go on in that period of time. We come then to the fifth seal. It is a change of focus. Instead of being on the earth, it's a sudden glimpse as to the temple of God. As he talks about the martyrs and reveals the trauma of that uh, to the to John the Apostle as he writes. In, in verse 2 through 8 of this sixth chapter then, we have the four seals that are grouped together and we are invited to come and see by the four living creatures. But the remaining seals, the fifth seal, the sixth seal, and ultimately the seventh seal, are grouped yet under a different grouping. In verse 9 it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they held. So the scene has shifted to the temple, and that's... The use of the word temple is another indication we're talking about the Jewish administration, the age of Israel. And the altar was the appointed place that sacrifices were to be made. These martyrs had become sacrifices for the true and the living God and for Christ. And uh, their souls are said to be under the altar. Now John was writing this, the Apostle John. He was on the Isle of Patmos. That was a prison island. He had been exiled there because of his preaching the gospel and the Roman government had exiled him. He was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, but he was unable to fulfill those responsibilities in his being imprisoned there on the island. So we can understand a little bit about the persecution of uh, uh, God's people. And here he is told that the souls of those that were slain because of their testimony uh, for God during the tribulational period, they are there under the altar and they are crying out, How long? How long? It said they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Their cry is for vengeance. And it's keeping with that age of judgment as God is judging the earth. How long is certainly a phrase that we find in the Scripture uh, concerning the Jewish saints uh, through the Old Testament. You'll find that question being raised repeatedly. Uh, You'll find it being raised in the uh, land of Israel today as uh, they have missed the uh, understanding that Christ was the Messiah and they're still saying how long before the Messiah comes how long before there is deliverance. And then uh, uh, verse 11 says, And white robes were given unto every one of them, 
And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that they might be killed as they should be fulfilled. So there is not yet going to be vengeance for those that have died under persecution as martyrs until the end of the tribulational period. So there's going to be a cry coming out from the throne, under the throne where their souls are as they seek vengeance for God to bring about judgment and justice. Notice that white robes were given to each of them. So they are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and their redemption is noted here with their being clothed with white robe, white robes. But they are to rest for a little while until the others that are going to be martyred are martyred and until the end of the tribulation period. So they're encouraged simply to rest and wait. We come to the sixth seal. The sixth seal is identified in verses 12 through 17. And uh, when this seal is opened, there is an upheaval both here on the earth and in the heavens, the celestial heavens. There's an amazing, strange activity that's, con- that's actually contrary to the divine principles uh, and laws uh, that usually govern weather, uh, weather conditions and floods and earthquakes and celestial disturbances that are going to affect the sun and the moon as well are manifested. And when it comes to this section, expositors of uh, the book are divided as to whether all of this judgment is to be taken literal or whether it is symbolic. The hermeneutical principle I use, the method of studying the Word and understanding the Word, is to take all of the elements of a passage literal unless such a procedure then issues in conflict with other literal passages of Scripture and demands of reason. So I take a literal approach to these things. We need to remember that it is the best way to understand symbols as they are introduced in the Bible is to go back and find where they were first used in the Bible. If you want to understand a symbol that is set forth in Scripture, see if you can find that symbol mentioned previously in Scripture and then you can get a better understanding as to what that symbol might mean now. Now the features under the sixth seal could well speak of literal occurrences and in their occurrences have a universal effect upon social life, upon emotional situations and uh, on spiritual uh, implications. Um, So I uh, will be taking that literal approach to this. Earthquakes, Changes in the heavenly bodies, falling star, 
the movement of mountains and even islands out of their places can be terrifying phenomena as that occurs during this tribulational period. Look at verse 12. John says, I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself predicted earthquakes. Isaiah foretold the darkening of the sun. Joel prophesied the change of the moon. And we have valid documentation then prior to this revelation as to what was going to occur during this tribulational period. Verse 13 says, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree catcheth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Now, when some would say, well, now wait, preacher. At this particular point, we've been told that the stars are the size of the sun, much bigger than the earth. How could they be cast to the earth? Well, of course, my smart aleck response to that is, I'll let him figure that out. But he's already got it figured out. And uh, the word that is used here is actually the word from which we get asteroids from. And um, you may be alert to the fact that we have one that's headed this way, uh, that should it collide with the earth, would completely destroy the earth. Uh, uh, we had one that went by uh, that if it had impacted the earth would destroy, they said, all life upon the earth. Uh, those are monstrous asteroids, uh, but we, we're going to see how that plays out, but it is the word from which we get asteroids. And then, uh, in verse 14, he says, and the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And of course, with that kind of phenomena occurring, there's going to be a tremendous reaction among men of all different cultures and standings and religious or non-religious concepts at that particular time. Look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. So it would seem that fear will have no boundaries as it relates to culture or financial well-being. Verse 16 says, And said to the mountain, these men hid in the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on me, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Notice, they know where the judgment is coming from, where it originates. They recognize that it is the wrath of the Lamb, but we don't have repentance, we just ask for help. We don't have uh, uh, that immediate evangelistic response to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
we have come at this particular point in the culture and society of of the world to uh, match that which is identified by Paul to Timothy. Men have their consciences seared with a hot iron and are no longer receptive to the gospel. Verse 17 then says, For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? So they understand the source of the judgment, but they do not turn to Him. As a matter of fact, we see when we look at some of the details of this further in our study, they actually curse God for bringing these things upon them. Hard to fathom, but that's how far people progress, regress away from God and to that which God has established. No cry out for salvation. No cry out of repentance. Just help us and stop the judgments. Following the opening then of the sixth seal, the scene is interrupted, as I said, by the statement, and after these things. After John had seen these things. Now the information that's contained in the seventh chapter is inserted here in the narrative. When you're reading about the tremendous suffering and the death and the catastrophic things that are going on, uh, it's good to know that grace is being offered and that there is some provision. And so we have in the seventh chapter the introduction of the evangelists that are going to be evangelizing during that period of time. Before the seventh seal is opened, which introduces then more specific details about this seven-year period, in this seventh chapter, God informs of His program of redemption and uh, evangelism during the tribulation. We go all the way then past the 7th chapter to the 8th chapter, verse 1, for the 7th seal being opened. And when He had opened the 7th seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, I used to try to use that as a proof passage that there weren't going to be any women in heaven because there was silence for the space of a half hour. But it was pointed out to me that there wouldn't be any preachers either then. So, I've dropped that. The catastrophes that are about to be revealed in the 8th chapter and through the 19th chapter are so catastrophic that as that seal is open, it hushes all of heaven itself. God is a just God. And certainly He's a justifier of all who will receive His free gift of salvation by personal faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see as we look in the 7th chapter, 
evangelism in high gear. As immediately there are a hundred and forty four thousand evangelists that are unleashed in an evangelistic campaign. But only for the first three and a half years. And then God sends two super evangelists. Now it won't be Billy Graham and Billy Sunday. It's going to be Moses and Elijah. Remember, we're dealing with the age of Israel and uh, their administration. So, can't we possibly understand the readiness of the stage that God has prepared and the assurance that these things will soon be. Life's a drama. One after another, a series of dramas. And certainly we can understand that this is a drama that we could identify as one of the great tragedies. That there has to be that seven year period because men are so rebellious to the creator of the heavens and the earth. So the four living creatures have issued a call. Come and see. And in response to their invitation, we're going to explore the things that they have briefly revealed to us in this chapter and hope to better understand why things are happening the way they are happening today and more importantly than why, but what we are to be doing day by day, what our role is as a stagehand, as one that is a sojourner, as an ambassador for Christ, as a bond slave of our Lord Jesus Christ, as a husbandman, as a steward, that we can better understand the urgency of the hour and that in all that we might be found faithful to Him. But of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes under righteousness, but with the mouth. Confession is made unto salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are in the final period of the church age. There's no indication in Scripture as to how long it will last. We have seen the six previous stages of the work of the church cover almost 2,000 years. But we're in that final stage. Not when the church finishes its work in the sense of there will not be any church, but when the rapture occurs, the true church will be taken out. There's going to still be church. For those that just like to go to church, they'll still have church. And and that will go on. But it's in the Laodicean age that he says 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and note the definition here. I will come in and sup with him and he with me. It's not opening the door of the church and receiving revival. No, it's individual and personal that will be our response during this period of the church age to do what he needs to do. Now, should we group together and affirm one another? Certainly. But this church, many that live in this period of the church age, who identify themselves as church folks, will go right on into that seven-year period because they did not receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Years ago, I held an evangelistic meeting in the city of San Bernardino, California. And in that two-week meeting, I met a pastor of a local church in San Bernardino who was an atheist. He pastored a church without their knowing he was an atheist. (laughs) Well, some of them had to know. But uh, I said to him, if you profess to be an atheist, how is it, why the ministry? I mean, there's a lot of better paying jobs, of course, than the group he was in. They paid a little better than the group I was in. But uh, how is that? And he said, it's out of necessity. We have to teach, the, preach the Bible and the gospel or the world will be hell on earth. We have to have a moral compass and we have to have love. And so I pastor, I preach the love of God and moral compass. So, I hope he changed his mind. If he hasn't already departed, I hate to see him hang around till that day, but our work is to do the work that he has sent us, and that work is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He said his plan of salvation is to be revealed and the doctrines that guide us and enable us in our daily walk are to be taught. Let's pray.